This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. And welcome back to Nightmares and Dreamscapes, a Stephen King adaptation podcast. And we're spending the season talking about Lizzie's story on Apple TV. This is episode four, Jim Dandy. And I'm Joe Lipset. And I'm Terry Bernard. And I don't know if this was a Jim Dandy of an episode or not, but I'm going to be curious to hear your thoughts on it, Joe. <laughs> Yeah, we were chatting just before we started recording. I think this is the first episode that I'm not completely enthused with. I I think that's a fair assessment. You know, it started off really strong and then it got really violent and uncomfortable. And then it kind of turned into exposition dump, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest issue that I had was that this doesn't feel like a standalone episode. And for the first time in this series, this feels like if you removed it from the episode before it and maybe the episode after it, it wouldn't make a ton of sense. And therefore, it doesn't stand on its own. Like, it's not a, a great hour. Yeah, I'm of two minds because one, I cannot imagine sitting here binging the show because it is, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, it is it is very slow. But it also feels like a show that kind of is asking to be binged because of Ah. something like this episode where if I was watching this, you know, well, we are watching this week to week, but if I was like not watching this for an episode, you know, I would be probably waiting until the whole season was done and like watching this one in companion with another, because it doesn't, it's not a great hour of TV Mm -hmm. in terms of enthralling this. Yeah, it definitely starts in media res. You know, we've got Lizzie walking into her dead husband's, workshop slash barn and she is just immediately attacked we spend a quarter of this episode's hour-long runtime with her just being mutilated and beaten up and getting sworn at by jim dooley the dane dehan character and then yeah you're right we spend about the next 40 ish minutes kind of catching things back up like hey terry did you know that water can heal the landis family did you know that they go to this place called the booyah moon did you know that uh, amanda is suffering from some mental health issues uh, and then we're out yeah you know when i'm ahead of the show it creates like a situation where i'm like come on will you catch up mm-hmm. to us we already know what's going on will you catch up and lisi seems to be incredibly unwilling to face the facts i guess and put everything together whereas like i mean we've been talking now for you know three episodes about how well three television episodes about how we know what's going on and yes i get that there's like you know there's the dramatic irony that we know what's going on and the character doesn't but at the same time we're learning stuff at the same time that she is and we're like come on can Mm -hmm. we get with it can we (laughs) we move on and this is one of the the first times where i definitely felt the languid pacing was sort of um It's hurting it. Boring. (laughs) For me, one of the challenges of this particular episode is that it doesn't also seem to be giving us any new information. So it's not even that we're ahead of Lisi or that she's a particularly stubborn character, but 
this episode felt like it was splashing back to moments that we've either already seen or we could easily infer from previous episodes. Like the scene when she goes to speak to Amanda, the Joan Allen character, and she's actually lucid in this flashback. And she's asking her sister about Scott, who has gone into his own away. I'm like, yeah, okay. But we already knew he went through this. We know that he and Amanda have a connection. We know that he helped Amanda out of hers and therefore Amanda might be well positioned to help him. But also it doesn't go anywhere. You know, it's five minutes of seeing that doesn't illuminate anything fresh or exciting for me. And I just think this isn't character development. It's not plot momentum. It feels like we're spinning our wheels a little bit. It does. And I mean, we've talked a couple of times now about the repetition and sometimes it works, but in this case, it does not because you're absolutely right. What, what does she tell her sister? Landon's have a history of becoming unstuck to reality. He calls being a gone. Yeah, we know mm-hmm. that. We learned that last episode. We've kind of gathered it beforehand that he, you know, goes places. And then we last episode was a full deep dive into the, the trauma that he that he faced with his father. Yeah. So there's that. And then we hear that Amanda, you know, that she withdraws because she gets scared and scared of the future of dying alone in this house, which is an interesting little character beat. But I mean, we yes. can already infer that for, mm-hmm. based on what, what she does, because the the initial part of her cutting herself in that first episode is because of finding out that her ex-husband is moving on. And so it just, right. you know, there's things that we can pick up on and we can infer, but the show sometimes feels like it needs to spell them out again and again and again. Right. And maybe that's why it's more bothersome here, because previous episodes have done a better job of treating us as mature, responsible adults who can follow the breadcrumbs that they're putting down. And here it feels like Stephen King saying, all right, okay, we're into the saggy middle bits. I'm just going to make sure that everybody is still caught up to where we need to be as we go into the back half of the season. It's like, no, man, we're, we're good. Like, Press the gas. We're we're here with you. Come on. Yeah, and I, I do wonder if this is another case. That, uh, we saw this with the with the outsiders. I mean, and this is two episodes shorter than the outsider, but it's like I, I get the feeling that that eight episode arc doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling it right now in this fourth episode that maybe if they had somehow condensed it to six episodes, not everything yeah. has to be eight or ten or whatever the case may be. I think maybe it would be it would probably flow better. That said, there are some good things that happen in this episode. I really actually like the way it started. Because okay. of the reversal of <laughs> Okay. I mean, yes, we're we're absolutely not condoning violence against women. No, this no, no. is horrifying. But in terms of holy shit, fuck monster balls, this is gripping like really dangerous feeling stuff. Well, and I don't even actually mean the violence at that point. I like that it's the it's the very opening scene where this entire series, like we have been waiting for that kind of confrontation between the two mm-hmm. because it's been setting it up and it always feels like it faints at that last moment and doesn't give right. it to us. And so here we have her walking in. She sees the tape. She plays it. It's a it's a message from Jim Dooley and he's talking to her. And I was like, I was like, ah, oh, are you kidding me? This is it's what we're, you know, we're getting. It's on. another faint. And she says, fuck you, Jimmy. And then he says, now, Mrs., that's not very that's not very nice. And he's like in there. And I was like, oh, fuck. I was not ready for that. No. And then it really uh, got uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, man. I knew that we were going to get some kind of violent altercation. I expected that the show would pull its punches a little bit more. And I 
I guess I could have used a better turn of phrase considering that we are literally swinging punches here. Okay, I want to talk about everything that unfurls. I do have a minor gripe with all of this. This violence is so authentic sounding and so brutal that when we actually get the reveal of what she looks like after he has punched her a bunch of times and then also sliced her with a pizza cutter a bunch of times. Oh my God. The violence that we see visually is not reflective of the sound effects and the punitive punishment that we saw doled out when it was just our imaginations. And I was like, oh, okay. Because in my mind, she was near death from what we heard. And then what you see is, yeah, she is badly beaten, but she is not anywhere near what I thought she would be. I mean, that's a very valid point. I really think that they went a little overboard with the sounds. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of happy that, you know, they sort of inverted the expectation. It didn't show the actual violence and focused mm -hmm. on on Jim Dooley. But those sound effects were over the top and uh, they really were so aggressive. I I had to look away at one point in both of the violent sequences because it, it was too much for me. I'm like, I, I didn't expect to see Julianne Moore getting the shit no! absolutely beaten out of her in this episode. No, I didn't either. I it was, I have no words. I was no. just like, I, I was sitting there like, I can't believe that I'm watching this because yeah. I was not expecting it. And in a way, it kind of feels like, Okay, well, you've been, you you know, we've been waiting for this. You've been waiting for this violent conflict. Are, are you sure you're ready for it? Because mm -hmm. I sh for sure wasn't ready for it from the moment that bag is over her mouth. And it's like a close up on her face struggling to breathe. I'm like, fuck. I legitimately thought that he had killed her and we were going to have to put her into the pool and bring her back. That's where I thought we were going with this. That was a valid concern. And then part of me foolishly, but Lizzie, babe. You got your hands free. Poke a hole in the bag where your <laughs> mouth is. <laughs> I would not be thinking clearly in her situation either, but it was definitely <laughs> like, oh no. But also, you could poke a hole in it. <laughs> fair, fair point. Uh, I, I did also kind of enjoy, I enjoy might be the wrong word, but mm. the, the moment when the cop calls at the very end of it, mm. where it's like, they're supposed to be there to protect and... He's like, oh, are you okay on the phone? And, you know, she, of course, can't tell him what happened because Jim Dooley has said that he's going to kill her sisters and then her, which, fuck. And yeah. then, so she's like, oh, I'm just really tired. And he's like, okay, well, you know, we're going to be down the street. And it's like, yeah, a lot of good that did. Yeah. Once again, the ineptitude of this police department, uh, just not being there and not even having an iotum of understanding about what's actually happening it doesn't speak well for what could happen in the rest of the season because I don't think we're out of the woods at all because we have left Darla in Amanda's house and Jim is sitting right there. So I don't have any confidence that he will keep his promise even though Lizzie has not told the cops anything because how would he know? He's going to be like, hey, I'm sitting here and then this other woman shows up. So I'm very worried for Darla next episode. I did really like that scene, though. That was the other scene I really liked where mm -hmm. she goes to Amanda's house. And we already know that Jim has been in the house and he has yes. taken the, the hamburger and fries and has heated it up. And she sees the plate. She doesn't notice it at first. She doesn't notice the stack of Oreos. Then she comes back and she kind of makes note of it. And then later on, we find out that she just assumes 
that Lisi was there and did mm-hmm. do dishes. But I thought that was an interesting moment. And then uh, when she walks into the bedroom with a freaking armory of weapons, yes. grabs the 22, grabs the mace, grabs a flare gun and a mm-hmm. taser. And there's something else. I'm not sure what it was, but I'm like, okay, we're going to war is what it felt like. <laughs> <laughs> but also why did Amanda have all of those items in her house? Like, I mean, she she is a danger to herself. And apparently she had this arsenal (laughs) just at the ready. But I also really like the camera pan where, you know, she's doing this and it's like dark and you're waiting for Jim to like be there. And the Mm -hmm. camera pans and he's sitting on the toilet. And again, he looks vacant. I kind of brought up last last week that there, you know, that there was that scene where it's like, it wouldn't surprise me if he is tapping into the that Booyah Moon place. And Mm -hmm. again, he's sitting there looking vacant. He's not looking at her. He's not. He just just sitting there staring off into space yeah uh, so i watched this in the middle of the day and i'm not gonna lie some of those dark scenes i think i was losing a lot of the nuance but Mm. it's tricky because what we're used to seeing is people going to booyah moon when there's water running right like there's so much water overflowing in sinks in even this episode alone and i could not tell whether or not he had the sink running or if there was some kind of other water source but i also then realized maybe that's just the way that the landis family gets into booyah moon maybe there's other ways to sneak into the secret world if it really is some kind of manifestation of what your imagination is yeah i was also kind of wondering so when we get kind of to the exposition dump and scott is talking about the he gives a name. I don't know if he's mentioned it before, but he gives a name to that big hulking creature in the Booyah Moon as the the long boy. Mm-hmm. And she asked the question, like, well, can he get to, you know, our to world. hear our yeah. world? And I I was kind of wondering if there's going to be like a connection between him and, and Jim Dooley. But I don't think there necessarily will be because I, I he right. seems to have known him for a very long time. But like, I don't know, there seems to be some kind of connection there because he's a he's despair he's sadness he's evilness in there mm-hmm. and I, i'm always waiting whenever someone brings up a point well can he get into our world i'm always yeah. like okay well if the you're gonna ask that question then yes. obviously yes <laughs> <laughs> well and i wonder if part of this is going to be that you can go into booyah moon and be repaired by its waters and explore you know it's apparently delightful flora and fauna as we <laughs> see in this episode but i wonder if then I'm thinking to the other stories we've seen from King where the idea is like, you can reach out and touch the darkness, but it can also touch you back. And I wonder if what we see is the long boy reaching out and touching people like Jim Dooley. And that's how Mm -hmm. we get danger and despair and sadness, but also malice and murder in our own world. The idea that that kind of like pot, I mean, because, you know, the Booyah Moon is sort of like this, this pot of, in, of like inspiration or this right. like kind of otherworldly idea that people tap into for ideas. And of course, mm-hmm. we know that ideas can be good. They can be evil. And I guess what got me thinking is when he's like, you know, saying that he knows me. And yet we also see Jim Dooley, who thinks that he knows Scott. Mm. And we, we also know that Jim Dooley has has grown, quote unquote, by reading all of his stuff is right. got, is is gained by reading his book. So I am kind of curious if there is some kind of, like you said, an influence or tapping into it is also tapped into the darkness for some people is instead of the the goodness for for others. Yeah, because I've definitely interpreted Scott's writing, even though every time they talk about the books and the content, I'm always like, these books don't sound all that great. <laughs> no, they don't. 
but that's fine. That's fine. Apparently in this world, they are great and they're bestsellers. <laughs> they could win a Nobel Prize, Terry. Well, as a side note to that, though, it, it's, you know, I think that what, what it got me was that it there are moments in it which which scream like King. Oh, sure. The yo-yo is is oh a magic gosh, yo-yo yes. from a from the book, and I was thinking about well, that's ridiculous. But on the other side of things, uh, Needful Things ends with a flower explosion, fireworks, and that's what ends up defeating the bad guy at the end. So there are moments like if you were to just isolate some of these moments from a King book, it does sound silly. I mean, if you were Absolutely. talking to someone out there and be like, "Yeah, they go to the Booyah Moon mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're going on <laughs> yes. bull hunts," like. <laughs> Oh, I guess that's right up there with uh, the farting aliens in Dreamcatcher, right? There you go. The Aspersters or whatever they're called. Oh, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So coming back to Scott's books, the way I've always looked at it is that he has managed to capture or even trap some of what makes the magic of the Booyah Moon in his writing. And that's why he has been so wildly successful is because he's been able to bring some of that imaginative magical world into our world within the pages of the books. And that then suggests, yes, you can bring a part of the Booyah Moon out and trap it, and make it available. And maybe it speaks more to some of the other people who are able to tap into that kind of world, or maybe it's other people who have experienced trauma or mental health issues. And it's frustrating to me that we get an episode like this, because I'm thinking you could be exploring some of that really fascinating stuff. We catch these glimpses of Booyah Moon in the flashbacks. So we go back to the time of the newlywed uh, where they're under the tree We hear about uh, the name for the moon and how time is always the same when you go to Blue Moon. Like there is little tidbits, little golden nuggets that we learn about the Blue Moon in this episode. And yet so much of it. I'm like, come on, just give us more. Just give us a little bit more. Like her comment about or her question about are there people here? And he says, yes, but they're broken. So there are little tidbits of there. But I mean, you're absolutely right. This this felt like a squandered opportunity of going over what we'd already seen before although i i did like a little bit more that we got to see about paul and um, mm. and scott's trip there especially the idea that the booyah moon can fascinate people because right. it, he definitely felt fascinated by the long boy and it of course led to him getting attacked which i would have preferred to see but <laughs> mm-hmm. okay so i'm i'm actually really glad that you brought that up because for me that was one of the most interesting dangling plot threads of this episode because I realized that with Paul's story, I thought, again, that this was going to be the reveal of how Paul died. And I Me realized, too. no, this is Lizzie's story. Once again, pulling the rug out from under us. How did Scott die? How did Paul die? We don't know. And they keep giving us these things that say, oh, this is what you think it is. Oh, no, it's actually not. We're not telling you that just yet. I was I was anticipating what was going to happen, and I actually literally wrote, "Okay, well, the long boy ate Paul." Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, oh, "What else would you delete? think?" Nope, that did, that's not what happened there. No. But we do know that Paul is buried mm-hmm. in the Booyah Moon. Yes, indeed. Under what is it? The the Strawberry Moon, or I forget what the the Sweetheart Tree. I know is was what there the, we go. Yeah, Sweetheart Hill. Sweetheart Hill. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Little tidbits. It's just the fact that they're not adding up to something more substantial. 
Although I did wonder again if part of the reason that Lizzie is so mired in her memories and these flashbacks, and to a, a greater extent, or or by extension, Lizzie's story, the actual show, it almost seems like she herself is fascinated. And mm. that feeds into this trajectory where we're going to find out that Lizzie, like the Landis family, is unnatural. So she is going to be able to go into Booyah Moon. And I actually think that's where we're headed next episode. Because we leave off this episode with her running that sink as though she is preparing to make the journey over. Yes. And, you know, I'm sitting here wondering, okay, what what is the theme that, that Stephen King is trying to hit at? We know that this is in some ways, like a letter to his wife, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like a, an exploration of the woman married to a famous author and, and the sort of horribleness that can come associated with that. Right. And there's that moment where she has a flashback again about Scott saying that all Landons are fast healers. We had to be. And then she's like, only landed by marriage is what she said. And then she's like, no. Yeah. And so there's that realization that just because she's not blood, that that doesn't mean that she's not a Landon at this point. Mm-hmm. So I was like, is, is that weird? Is that, is that what this is all kind of leading up to is her realization that she is her own person, but she is also just because she's married to him does not mean that she's not of him. Right. Which, which is uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we've talked about the quandary that King is potentially dabbling in. If we are to read Lizzie equals Tabitha King, some of this is coming out a little bit like, oh, but you're still saying that you, the husband writer, is the most important person in this world. That That's was problematic. the other, <laughs> Yes, that was the other thing that jumped out at me is that there's that constant refrain, again, repetition of, of Scott telling her, you're my anchor here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so is this like behind every powerful man is a strong woman? Like, is, yeah. that, is that what we're, we're saying here? It's always like, you know, you're, you're my rock, you're my mm-hmm. anchor. And you she's like me. saying, I loved you. I saved you. I iced you. I didn't quite I gave understand. You ice. yeah. I gave you ice. I was like, I don't. What, it felt like it what? was just to make a limerick. I was like, yeah, you could do better. Come on. Yeah. But, it, <laughs> but it's, it's, again, it's that, it's that refrain of like, what, this is supposed to be Lisi's story, but yet I feel like we're learning more about Scott yeah. than we are Lisi. And yeah. his trauma and how she needs to be there for him because he has trauma, which I agree. People need to be there for each other to help sure. get through trauma, especially if, if you are in a relationship together. But at the other side of things, this constant thing of like, you're my rock, you're my anchor is still, I don't know what you're trying to say here. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of the fact that we seem to get Scott speaking telepathically of sorts to Lizzie as she is trying to process her own pain recovery and figure out what to do next. Like I didn't get the impression that she's hallucinating it because when she's sitting there by the pool tending to her face and she's, she gets caught in the new wave of nostalgia, she hears his voice and she seems to be using it to advance herself forward. Mm -hmm. But I didn't read it as, Oh, she's, lost her mind it was very much like oh scott is still alive in the booyaman and he's trying to help you yeah i wouldn't be surprised if that is the case that middle section sort of played a little bit with the with flashbacks in a weird sort of way where Mm. he shows up he's talking to her and then she sees the 
the, the singer that's performing yes. on stage at their wedding, but he's not on stage. So she's not flashback dreaming of mm-hmm. that time when, you know, at the wedding, he's literally standing in a tree in her backyard playing. He doesn't see her. So there's like, he's just sort of singing to the either. So like, it's not as if he sees her, but at the same time, it's not the same kind of flashback that we have seen before. And then, yeah, you you have Scott there. So I was like, I was really kind of at a loss as to what is real and what is not. Maybe that's the intent here, but right. I would not be surprised if this ultimately is her having to go into the buoy moon to save him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think it would give her a sense of agency and all of a sudden then it makes her the hero, but obviously still ensures that Scott is important. I also do think that in the next episode or two, I bet we're going to see her mounting a rescue mission to get Amanda out of there because that seems to be building to, to that of trying to get her away from that pool. Yes. Yeah. I could actually see that happening in the very next episode. So she manages to cross over as a result of this sink overflowing at the end of this episode and she makes it over. I could see her maybe having to make a choice between scott or amanda or she only sees amanda and then as they're going to leave before the long boy shows up maybe that's when she sees a glimpse of scott and then she realizes oh to come back to save him it's my prediction i I mean because i honestly thought and again i I should have realized that was not gonna be the case but i honestly thought she would be going into the booyah moon this episode because i was like okay we know that this thing heals you can we get you to that Mm -hmm. point and of course we spend the next what 30-ish minutes yeah. not doing that no i know that that was my thought too i was like either get in that damn pool and swim <laughs> your usual laps because it might help you or get yourself to the damn booyaman like let's go come also, on so listeners take a shot every time we say booyaman in this episode <laughs> oh my god you'd be drunk <laughs> you might be dead <laughs> all right any other big things that you wanted to talk about from this episode there's one thing that I did want to bring up and it's, a, it's such a small thing, but I think I've been noticing more really good editing. And I actually really liked, there's an edit here towards the end, the flashback with her and Scott and the flashback with her, <laughs> so many flashbacks, flashback mm-hmm. with her and Amanda saying, I want to come home. And she's kind of whining that last moment. Right. The way it's edited together flows with flowing between Scott and Amanda. I really appreciate it. And I, there are, there are, there are moments of that in this series where I think the cinematography is, is absolutely beautiful, even when mm-hmm. nothing is happening. And yep. this is one of those moments that I was like, I really like the way this is edited. I want more of this. Yeah. Technically the show is still really firing on all accounts. It's, uh, dare I say it, I'm such a, a Stephen King hater. It's the narrative that I think is starting to let the show down. Like Pablo Larraín is still killing it on the direction. Mm. You're right, the editing is good. The cinematography looks good. I wouldn't advise people to watch a show during the day because the dark is dark. <laughs> <It's> dark. <laughs> but you're, you're not wrong. Everything about this show is very pretty, albeit muted that that's kind of my big thing is i i almost wish that the buoy moon was a little bit more vibrant in terms of its color scheme just to distinguish it from the more washed out real world color palette yeah it it is a little dark i guess for lack of a better word mm-hmm. but the the blood moon i think is great i love some of the mm-hmm. bursts of color in it i think the production design is really nice i do think that it might be a monetary issue because oh, it is, I, I can imagine that being a very expensive 
production design from a right. technical standpoint because <laughs> yeah. i was thinking that too i was like i want to see more i want to see more of this world and less of the real world right yeah uh, how many times do we need to see lizzie go back and forth between her farm and her house right or amanda's house or amanda's <laughs> that seems house, to yeah. be the only locations in this world anymore <laughs> Season two of the show is completely sponsored by both Oreos as well oh as God. multiple other product placement companies so that we can expand the world of the show. I'm surprised that there's not uh, more Apple products in it. Oh, right. Yeah. This show is actually very low tech, all things considered. Oh, OK. Mm-hmm. So that is one final thing I would like to talk about, because last week we talked about whether or not Lizzie actually knows the contents of Scott's office. And it seems like in this episode, we get confirmation that there are no other books, unless you think she's lying to Jim Dooley under this really heightened duress. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure how to take that, because Mm -hmm. at at some point, she seems like she's scrambling to keep him interested, like she says that there's a sequel to Relics. Right. But he finds like a manuscript and he's reading from it. And so I'm not 100% sure. Again, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, there are things that, that the story is so nebulous on that I'd like to know more about. And then there are things that, I mean, as we've talked about already in this episode, it's punching home, like, okay, Mm -hmm. okay, okay. And yeah, I'm I'm still, I'm still unconvinced that I I really don't know what's going on with his, with his books or his lack of books. Like, I I don't Mm -hmm. know. Okay. So we think Lizzie's probably going to go into Booyah Moon. She's probably going to heal herself in some way because she needs to recover from that. Darla's still in danger. And yes, we're lacking any kind of resolution on what has happened to Paul, whether or not Scott is still alive, whether or not she's hallucinating, or is she fascinated and there are things coming out of Booyah Moon and affecting her reality. Lots of questions, not a lot of answers, which I guess, considering we're only now crossing into the back half of the season, maybe this is a good place to be. Yeah, I maybe... (laughs) Condensed. I will say yes. <laughs> I mean, they could have condensed a couple episodes together. Uh, right. But yes, I do think I'm glad that there are still questions to ask and that we don't know everything that's going on because okay. we still have another three episodes, four, four. episodes, four. Gosh, math yeah. hard. We still have <laughs> another four episodes. So yeah, we, we got places to go still, apparently. <laughs> All right. So, Terry, if people want to speculate with you about where the show is about to go next, how would they get a hold of you? You should hit me up on Twitter at Gaily Dreadful. I'm also on Instagram, but I'm not there very much. So Twitter is the best way to go. What about you, Joe? (laughs) You can reach me at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And of course, if you want to support the show and the whole podcast network, we are a member of the Anatomy of a Screen pod squad. So make sure that you hit that like and subscribe and rate and review and all the fun things. Check out the other shows on the network. And uh, yeah, we will be back with a new episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes next week to talk about episode five. But until then, we will see you under the pizza cutter. Oh, God. Rude. The Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad.